0: Give it up for the Von Trapp family. (laughs) That was was awesome. We enjoyed hearing that, and Micah has got some rhythm. Man alive. You couldn't see him back here, but he's got some rhythm. Man, that was incredible. All right, well, I am... So glad to see you all this morning. Welcome to Farmington Baptist Church. Um, If you're visiting here this morning and you do not know who I am, my name is Seth Parnell. I'm the associate pastor here. Pastor Philip has been on vacation this week. And he is, I think they're traveling back today. So I think that's what they're doing. I talked to him yesterday. They had an awesome time. Um, He sounded very rested. So (laughs) that's good. Sometimes you have a vacation and you need a vacation after the vacation. So uh, he sounded like he had a really great time. Um, <clears throat> one announcement that I want to make real quick is we have Summer Spectacular coming up towards the end of July. Now, yeah, awesome. Some of you may not know what this is, so let me, because we have some new faces and we have some visitors, let me just tell you what this is. All right, if you've been at other churches and you've heard the letters VBS, it's kind of like what Summer Spectacular is. And people are laughing because Philip hates for us to call it VBS because it's not VBS. Yes, this is our way to engage with our kids over the summer. Um, <clears throat> it's really, it's like a four-day kid revival is kind of what it is. Um, but in saying all that, that coming up, we also, we need volunteers. We need people to help. We need people to fill in positions. We have tour guides. We have um, preschool workers, people to help with games and snacks and all this stuff. So if you would like to help, we would love for you to serve. Um, <clears throat> We have, there's a sign-up online, uh, there's a sign-up on the Church uh, Planning Center app, and then there's also some cards out here. You can take one of those and you can put it in, I think there's a box out there, so you can could, you could do that. Um, all that's coming up, and we are looking forward to it. <clears throat> so today, for the sermon, we are back on the ship. Um, if, if you don't know, every time that I get to preach, I've been going through this series through 2 Timothy, and it's called Stay the Course. Stay the Course, series in 2 Timothy. Um, <clears throat> we've taken this idea of getting on this vessel, this vessel being life or something that you are, you are leading and going in a certain direction. Um, 2 Timothy, there's a lot of leadership principles in this book, uh, a lot of other good stuff as well, <clears throat> but as a Christian... You are called to lead. Whether you're called to lead a church, whether you're called to lead an organization, whether you're called to lead a family, whether you're just called to lead yourself and go the way that God has wanted you, God wants you to go, you are called to lead to some extent. And so as Paul is talking to Timothy in this book, there are so many great leadership principles. And so we are back on the boat today and we are setting, we, we are, we're sailing. So we have set sail, we have avoided seasickness, uh, we have avoided shipwreck, and today the main idea of the, of, of the message is we want to maintain staying the course. We want to maintain going in this direction, and we do that uh, several ways, but one way is we have to make sure that we are disciplined in the task that need to be taken care of. And we have to be disciplined to make sure we are going in that direction that God wants us to go. So the title of this message is Diligent Discipline. Um, as, a, as a sailor, I've never been a sailor before. Um, I've never even, actually, I've been on a boat before. I've never been out in the, the big ocean. But as as you're sailing, there are things that you just have to do. There are things that you have to do to make sure your, your ship is, is um, ship-shaped, <laughs> to make sure that it is... Uh, things are, are working properly to make sure that uh, it is going in the right direction. And sometimes these tasks, sometimes these things that you have to do, they're fun. Sometimes they're boring. Sometimes they're easy. Sometimes they're hard. Um, so you think about different things that, that you might have to do on a, on a boat. One might be navigation. All right. To me, that sounds like a lot of fun. Being able to navigate this big vessel through different, through treacherous waters and from point A to point B. um, There's different tools that you have to use like a a compass and nautical charts. Uh, You have to sometimes know the stars if you don't have all the tools and technology like we do today. Back in the day, they had to use the stars to help them navigate. So that's kind of a cool thing. That's kind of fun. Um, maybe another fun thing would be, you know, climbing to the crow's nest and getting your your telescope out or periscope, whatever it's called, and looking to see if you can spot any other vessels, any pirates, uh, land. You know, the different things that you have to do. I, I just imagine like climbing up that rope ladder type thing. I know when I was a kid, we had one on my playset, and I would. Pretend I was on a ship all the time, and I'd, I'd climb up. That and It just sounds like a lot of fun. But then there's other things that you have to do that are not so fun, like swabbing the deck. Does anyone in here enjoy mopping? Okay. No hands. And if you are, maybe you do enjoy it, but you're embarrassed to, like, raise your hand. All right. <laughs> we, mopping is not really a fun thing, so swabbing the deck, you know, it just does not sound fun. Well, In our Christian life, there are disciplines that we need to have. And these disciplines that that we do and that we partake in, sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're hard, and sometimes they're just not fun. But it's good for us to do them because it keeps us going in the right direction. It keeps us going the way that God wants us to go. So they take work, and they take diligent discipline. Now, if you have your Bibles... um, uh, go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy, if you would. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today, is where we're going to be. Um, so, these disciplines, we do need to be diligent in them. We do need to have discipline. But the one thing I want you all to understand is, as Christians, we there is a work that has been accomplished for us that we do not have to work for. A- after we are saved, we do have to, to, to work. it. It's good to do this, but... Being saved does not take any work or effort on our part. It takes the work and the effort of Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for our sins. He died. He rose again on the third day. We believe in that. There's no work that has to be done. But to another extent, in order to stay sharp, in order to stay on fire for God, in order to stay walking the way that God wants us to walk, we do have to work. We do have to work hard. There are things that we need to do. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, so in talking about discipline, there are, there's really two types of discipline in, in, in my world, in my opinion. There's really two types of discipline. There is reactive discipline, and then there is proactive discipline. Reactive discipline would look very similar to parent-child relationship. Child disobeys, they do something wrong, we react and we discipline them. The purpose of discipline is to correct and to make sure that this person is on the right course. So if they've gotten off the course, there is reactive discipline that gets them back on the right course. Um, We are in a phase where we're trying to figure out what that looks like. (laughs) We we have a three-year-old daughter and we have a 16-month-old son. And we're going, how in the world are we supposed to discipline these kids who don't even really understand anything yet? All right, Amelia understands a little bit more. She's getting to the point where we can have conversations, we can lecture her, like we but Silas, no, no, like that's that's our way to discipline him right now. No. And then he looks at us, oh, like, why not? Reactive discipline. They've done something wrong, you put them back on track. Proactive discipline is keeping yourself on track so that you don't get off. Proactive discipline is keeping yourself on the course and doing things, having different things, different, different methods or different disciplines, different things that you can do to make sure that you stay on track. If you're proactively disciplining yourself. Well, a lot of people call this personal discipline. We're going to call it spiritual discipline today. That's what we're, what we're going after. So let's, um, let's dive into this, into this um, section today. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, and it says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Dear and Father, Lord, I thank you so much for all that you do. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message today. Thank you for this church. Um, God, I pray that you would work and you would move in people's lives and that you just use the words that are said, uh, that they are your words. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is talking to Timothy in this moment. And this, is, this is so awesome. Because you gotta, You got to remember the context of, of 2 Timothy and what's happening. Paul has gotten towards the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and he is rising up Timothy who is already a pastor himself, but Paul is saying, I'm about to pass the baton over to you. I'm about to pass the reins over to you, so you are taking control. You are taking the helm, if you want to use the ship uh, metaphor. You are going to take over these things that I, have, I am entrusting into you. And so this, there's this pastoral leadership vibe that we have going on here. But one thing he tells Timothy is, not only are you going to have to do these things, not only are you going to have to lead and and be pastor of this this church and churches, not only are you going to have to do these things, but I also want you to do this. It it says in verse 2, the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. So the things that you have, the things that I have instilled in you, I want you to instill in. In others, I want you to instill in others. And so the point that I want to make here is that you as a Christian need to be diligent in pouring into others. That's what discipleship is. You as a Christian are called to be diligent and pour into others what has been poured into you. Be diligent in that discipline. <clears throat> if you are a Christian you have been poured into. Someone has taken the time and has taken the effort of some sort and some level to pour into you. Um, For some others, it may look a little different. Maybe Maybe as you're thinking through, you're like, I don't really know who has poured into me. If you've ever been to a church service, someone has poured into you. If you've ever read a book, a Christian book, someone has poured into you. It might be from a distant level, but someone has poured into you. And I would even argue that most of you have probably had people, maybe parents, maybe a closer relationship with pastoral leadership or someone that you just looked up to and that was a mentor to you and they helped you walk in your faith. You have been poured into to some extent. I know I was. I know first and foremost, the the first people that poured into me were my parents. I was blessed to be in a home that my parents knew Jesus and they lived it and they instilled it in their kids. And I was blessed to have that. I was also blessed to be in a church that had a youth pastor that really cared about the youth that was in his youth group. And he poured into me. His name was Sean Vernon. He was an awesome guy. Awesome guy. And I, I, I am forever grateful for his, his leadership and his influence in my life. Because I know that God used him to get me to the point of where I am today in, in full-time ministry. I know that he used him. And there's been other people. There's been other youth pastors. There's been professors that I've had. Um, Pastor Philip, the time that I've been here, he has poured into me. And I know you as a Christian, you can think back and you can say, okay, this person, they've, they mean something to me. Maybe, maybe it was a grandparent of yours. Maybe it was a parent of yours. Maybe, maybe it was a friend or, or colleague. Someone has poured into you. But the thing is, is that Paul is telling Timothy, I want you the things that were instilled in you, I want you to entrust these things to faithful men. So not only are we supposed to be poured into as Christians, but we're also supposed to pour out. That's discipleship. That's the beauty of discipleship, is you get poured into, and then you find someone else to pour back into their lives. And that's discipleship. There's this um, kind of a buzzword. Um, it's called We can call it reproductive discipleship. Reproducing, reproducers. So look at this. So not only is he to instill these things in faithful men, that's awesome. You can stop there. That's awesome. But if you take it further, these faithful men are supposed to be those who will be able to teach others also. So as we look at this, and this is in the context of pastoral leadership and the context of raising up other leaders in the church who will be able to then raise up other leaders in the church under them. But we can apply this to just our lives as Christians in general. I think God wants us all to be disciplers. And he wants us all to be discipling people who then will go on and disciple others. So things that have been instilled in you, you are to pour into other people. (coughs) Excuse me. But you're to pour into these people with the intent of them continuing the process and pouring into others. Reproducing reproducers. (coughs) Sorry about that. A little frog in my throat. I don't know why they call it frog in your throat. (coughs) But that, because you rib it. That's why. I just figured that out. (coughs) Yeah. Wow. We... (laughs) rabbit trail we found some we found some toads at our house the other day and we have a problem where the toads will uh we have a basement and you have the windows that are like under kind of under the ground halfway and they love to hop into those and it's cool for a while because when you go in the basement it's like you have an aquarium (laughs) you just look and you're like hey little frogs and so i came outside and i had my arm all the way down i'm trying to get them out and amelia she comes up to me my three-year-old daughter daddy what are you doing so, well, I'm trying to save the toad. Why? Because well, he's gonna die if he, huh? <laughs> so <clears throat> that has nothing to do with the message. That's just a rabbit that I chased, and I don't know if I should have, but I did. So there we go. Pre-producing <laughs> reproducers. So the question is, how, how are you? How are you supposed to do this? Okay, because not every one of you in the church has the platform of being a teacher. Or has the platform of preaching a message. So how, how are you supposed to do this? Well, there's, there's, in this church specifically, there are many ways for you to pour into other people's lives. Like kids, number one. We have some respect coming up. That's a huge one. Working with our kids. Working with our teenagers. Uh, we have fuel on Wednesday nights. That's a great way to pour in through small group and through other different avenues and areas. Um, teaching a Bible study. Is another one. Attending a small group. Just being in a small group. It's, it's a, you don't necessarily have to be a teacher in that point, but you get to share and you get to um, say things that have hit you, maybe from the message or just what God's doing in your life. And you have the opportunity to influence other people. You have the opportunity to pour into other people's lives. And so that's just a few different ways, um, but it doesn't even have to be in the church. It can be outside the church. It can be with a coworker that you have, someone that you um, just have a relationship with and you just want to give them what Jesus has given you. There's a lot of different ways that you can do this. <clears throat> um, there was, <clears throat> there it is again, sorry. There is, there was a time where um, I, I witnessed discipleship happening. And, and let me just say this. Discipleship Ultimately is sharing the love of Christ with others. Ultimately, at the very core, that's what discipleship is. I think so many people get, get caught up in I gotta have this program and it's gotta look this way and I gotta say these words and we gotta go through these books and, and those are good and those are good structures, those are good things to have because it, it it ensures that you go in a specific direction. But ultimately, discipleship is relationship-based. See, our walk with God is all about relationship. And God tells us that there's two main things that we really just, these two main things are the only things we really need to be concerned with in life. And one is loving God, and then two is loving others. And so discipleship, that's all discipleship really is. Now there's, there's a purpose behind it, you're going in a certain direction, but you're loving the people that you're discipling. And so you have to have that at at the very foremost of what, when you pour into someone, you have to have that love there, or it's kind of pointless, it's kind of worthless. At that point, you're just, you're just going through a program. Um, There was a time where I, I went to a coffee shop, so, okay, let me set this up. Several years ago, um, shortly after Heather and I first got married, on Fridays, that was my day off, I was in school, still am, (laughs) And I would go to the coffee shop, and I would study. And that's just something that I would do on Fridays, just try to knock out as much work as I could, watch all my lectures, that type of thing. Um, Heather worked at Kaplan over there in Louisville, and I'd go to the coffee shop in Louisville, and sometimes we'd get lunch together, and then I'd go back and hit the books again. And there was one time where, when I was there, um, these two guys, they they came in the coffee shop together, and uh, one of the guys, I started to kind of get a little conversation going with him, and he, he, sound, he sound foreign. I think maybe German. I don't really know. He just didn't sound like he was from around here. I don't know. Maybe he was from New York. I don't know. But I, he sounded like he was from Germany. All right. So he, there's like a little bit of an accent. And so we just get to, to talking. And he was a cool guy. We are talking about my backpack. It's an Osprey backpack. And he loved Osprey backpack. And so anyways, there's something cool going on there. And then so we all go out to the porch, get our coffee. I start, you know, doing my studying and uh, I could hear them talking. They had a little conversation going on. There's just something, that, something going on. And um, I don't know if this is right or not, but I was eavesdropping. You know, you, I don't know if you're this way, but I can't help it. If someone's talking over here, i got to listen to what they're saying. Okay, thank you, thank you. Like, people say, oh, don't eavesdrop. That's impolite. How do you, how do you not? <laughs> how do you not listen to this shit? not talking that loud, right? All right, so their conversation is happening over here. And then I have this other bad habit of, like, analyzing what they're saying. All right? Call me a jerk. I don't know. Like, but that's just what's going on. I'm, I'm thinking about what they're saying. And what and I realize that it sounds like the, we'll call him the local guy, because he did not seem like he was from Germany or wherever, this other guy. So the the foreign and the foreigner and the local guy. Um, they're, they just... the the local guy is is witnessing to this foreign guy. I'm like, that's really cool. Like, that's awesome. Like, I hear words like about the gospel and about Jesus. I was like, man, I'm like, I'm getting to witness someone discipling someone else, you know, someone pouring their heart and their life into someone else. That's really cool. But as I listened to this, it almost sounded like this local guy was just kind of like going through a survey with this other guy, and it sounded like this other guy was was really interested, and the answers that he's given are sort of like these like philosoph- philosophical answers, and like it sounds like he's kind of interested in God, but like not really not really there. Maybe he doesn't really truly believe, or maybe he's agnostic. He's not really sure what to believe. So he's given him these answers, but what this other guy has given him is like he's just kind of bringing him through this program oriented boom 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 boom. Here's a question, here's an answer, here's a question, here's an answer. I was like, man, you're missing the opportunity. You're missing the opportunity to love this guy. You're missing the opportunity to pour into his heart hopefully what has been poured into your own heart and your own life. And that's what discipleship is. We need the programs, we need the structure. You know, it truth with or love without truth, it doesn't really get us anywhere, but it, vice versa. Like, you have to have the love that's there when pouring into these people. And so you, as a Christian, you have been called to disciple. You have been called a disciple. If you're a parent, your kids. That's your number one ministry. You are called to disciple your kids. And maybe you don't have kids. You're called to disciple of some, at some level. You are called to that. And it's a discipline. It's a discipline that you need to have as a Christian. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that you cannot pour into others what you yourself first do not already have. Let me me just say that again. To me, that's really profound. It might not be. But you cannot pour into others what you yourself first do not already have. So as a Christian, as a Christian, you have Christ in you. As a Christian, you have been poured into. But see, there are times that we as Christians, we're just not as on fire for God. We're just not as hot for God. We're just not as like, like on the high, on, on the mountaintop for God. And most of the time, the reason is because we've kind of slacked in our discipline. We've slacked in spending our time with God. We've slacked in our, our Bible study and reading, reading his word. We've slacked in, um, in praying to him. And so our relationship with God is just not where it should be. If it's not where it should be, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to pour in to others. Because we have to be up here, we have to be filled up And we have to have the overflow in order to fill up someone else. So you cannot pour into someone, you cannot pour into others what you yourself first do not already have. So be disciplined. So be disciplined. And Paul, he talks about this. He talks about the importance of Christians being disciplined in their walk with God. And he... And he gives three metaphors. And these metaphors are awesome. These metaphors are fun. We're going to have fun with this, okay? So let's look at this first one. He says this uh, in verse 3, talking to Timothy. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. All right, so suffer as a soldier. Share in suffering. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I love metaphors in Scripture that talk about Christians being soldiers. I just think that's so cool. In fuel, yeah. so if you don't know what I do here, a lot of what I do is with the teens, you know, with youth ministry. A lot of the things that when I look back at the year, I'm like, man, we had a whole lot of battle events I mean, the teens can attest to that. Like, our extreme Easter egg hunt, we're throwing eggs at each other. We have sock wars. Sock wars. I love the whole battle idea because, as a Christian, it is a constant fight. It is a constant fight that we are fighting not with those around us, not with flesh and blood, but with the spiritual darkness. And so, as a good soldier, you are to share in suffering. Soldiers suffer. Suffer. There are things that they have to put on the back burner. There are things that, that they have to endure, they have to go through. When they, when they go through fighting, when they go through their training, when they go through all the other strict disciplines, they have to suffer. But notice also what it says there too. It says not just to suffer, and we, we should as Christians to some extent, but he says no soldier is entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. There were certain things that back in the day when Paul was writing this, that the Roman soldiers were not allowed to engage in because that was for civilian life, not for soldier life. There are some similarities today in the the way that um, our our militaries work today and the way that they want their soldiers to be. But some of the things that were, were super important that these soldiers didn't engage in, one was this, one was marriage. If you were in the military, you were not allowed to get married. And oftentimes, these soldiers, their military stint was upwards of 20 years, if not more. And so if you were in the military, you were not allowed to have a family. You had to be completely sold out to your company. You had to be completely sold out to your master. And you had to do what he said to do. You were not allowed to get entangled in the affairs of marriage because that would distract you from being the soldier that you need to be. And so that was one of them. The other one was you weren't allowed to engage in business. You couldn't be, you couldn't have a little side gig over here. You couldn't have a business over here. You just weren't allowed to do that. You were a soldier. You were not a business person. You were not a merchant. You were a soldier, first and foremost. And then another one was this, is you weren't allowed to own property. So you couldn't have a little homestead or a place over here, with your wife and your business, right? You were a soldier. You did not get entangled in the pursuits of civilian life. Now, Paul is not saying that as Christians you can't get married and you can't have a business and you can't own land. Like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you got to stay focused on God. you got to stay focused on God. Because as a soldier of Christ, your aim is to please your God. Don't get entangled by the things of this world because they will get you off course. You can't stay the course if you're entangled in these things over here. You got to stay focused on God. You got to stay focused on what's important. As a soldier of Christ, don't get entangled. Be detached from the world and be attached to God and pleasing Him. So then he moves along to another, <clears throat> to an, a, another uh, metaphor, and it's that of the athlete. And he says this in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he compare, uh, Excuse me, competes according to the rules. All right, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. All right, back in the ancient times when they, we had, when they had athletes and they competed, there was a prize that they won. And it was this, this wreath, it was a crown that they got. And that was that was part of the the amazing uh, reward of being the top notch in whatever sport they were competing in. Um, today we have big metal trophies that are super flashy. Back then they had branches that you put on your head. <laughs> to them it meant something. I don't know, but that's what it was. It showed that you you competed. Um, I can I can get kind of nerdy with this stuff sometimes and. <clears throat> So there's, there was different types of of wreaths that that they would they would crown the, these athletes with, and um, uh, this one I think this one is olive olive wreath uh, from an olive tree, and this was typically the Olympians. This is what this was their big this was your reward. You got crowned with an olive leaf branch, whatever. <clears throat> there was also oak. All right, so we had oak leaves. Um, I don't know that. Maybe acorns, (laughs) that would have been kind of cool. Maybe some squirrels attached, that would be kind of cool. But they had an oak oak wreath. Um, uh, What were the other ones? Um, Laurel, yeah, laurel wreath. They had a laurel wreath. But get this, they also had celery. Celery wreaths. It makes me think of VeggieTales, like you're getting, you're going up to the front and they're crying to you, you're like, VeggieTales, like what, well, that's kind of weird, that's kind of weird, but that was the symbol that everyone wanted, that, that was the prize. You weren't able to attain this prize if you didn't compete according to the rules. No cheaters got crowned, right? No cheaters got crowned, um, in youth ministry here in Fuel, whenever we have events, we have to explain rules, and we spend a lot of time on the rules because these teens like to find every single loophole that they can. Right? <laughs> I'm pointing to Sawyer because he remembers. They they want to know what are my boundaries? How can I get a better upper hand on the other team? What are the things I can and can't do? Um, and sometimes it's stuff that I didn't even think I had to explain. Like, <laughs> like, I didn't think I had to tell you not to hide the flag when we're playing Capture the Flag in the Poison Oak. Like, I just didn't think I had to tell you that. I didn't think I had to tell you not to hide the flag when we're playing Capture Flag in Poison Oak 15 feet up in a tree. Like, I just thought that was just, you know, common sense. But we have to explain the rules, And if you break the rules, or you do something against the rules, your team doesn't win. Or you sit out, or you don't get the benefits of winning or whatever. There's there's reactive discipline. Not proactive, there's reactive discipline. As an athlete, you had to compete according to the rules. As a Christian, there is a way in which we are to walk. There is a way in which we are to run the race with endurance. And ultimately, that way is found in Scripture. This is not a rule book, per se, but it gives you guidelines, and it gives you principles, and it does give you black and white rules of things that you should and should not do as a Christian. And so, yes, there, there are some black and white, like, this is no doubt Shouldn't do this. No doubt. Should do this. There are so those black and white things. But there's also different principles and valuable, valuables values that if you read scripture you go, man, this is how I should live. This is the way that I should walk. These are the rules that I should abide my life to. Um, and then there's other things in scripture that it may not be a blanket statement for every Christian, but for you in your own walk, it is a Holy Spirit-driven personal conviction that this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. And so there's, there's, there's these different levels of rules that we find in Scripture, but ultimately, like, as a Christian, there's a way in which we, we should walk. And to stay the course, to stay the course, to make sure your ship is sailing in the direction that God wants it to sail, and is going the way that God has called you to sail, you need to abide by the rules. And you need to be disciplined in that. And so then there's one last metaphor that Paul talks about. And um, this one is, is the metaphor of the farmer. Now, we are in Farmington, Farmington Baptist Church. If you're not a farmer, you probably know one. So I'm just going to skip this part, and we're going to go home. Just kidding. Now, this one is probably one of my most favorites out of all of these metaphors. And it says this. It says this in verse um, 8, excuse me, no, 6. I need glasses. 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The hardworking farmer. If you yourself are a farmer, if you've ever kind of farming in your life, if you've ever had a garden, <laughs> right, you know that it takes work. You know that it, there is some labor involved in doing farm work. Um, we have a, a neighbor of ours. Um, he's a farmer. Like, he's just a legit, that's what he does. He is a farmer. He lives up the road from us, but he farms all these different plots of land everywhere. And he, and he, he bales hay off of the field that surrounds our house. And um, his, his name is Reggie Pilcher. Some of you may know him, some of you may not, but he's, he's an awesome guy. And I was talking to him this past week, and I said, you're going to make it into my sermon this Sunday. And he was like, oh, no. <laughs> but I got his permission. Um, <clears throat> he's a hardworking guy, like a super hardworking guy. He, every time we see him, he's working. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen him leisurely do anything. <laughs> every time we see him he's just working I think there was one time where I might have saw him picking up barbecue at, at one of the local churches for a fundraiser and I ran into him there I was like oh he's actually not farming he's eating wow <laughs> way to go dude but he, he's a hard worker um, and so he'll, he'll bathe the uh, bale the hay <laughs> i just about to flip that around in my mind he will bale the hay uh, uh, around, around our house and Amelia might my three-year-old daughter, she loves to watch that because she loves to see the big tractor come in, and she loves to see him pick up the big old round hay bales and put them on the trailer, and she loves to see him out in the field. And every year, every season, we have to get a picture by the hay bales. If you've ever seen any of my Facebook profile pics, I think there's a couple hay bale pictures in there, and that's Reggie's, uh, what, he's, what he's been doing. And um, there was one birthday party that we had for Amelia. I think it was her first birthday. We were all outside in the backyard. Had all the family over. We have these festivities going on, and then here comes Reggie and his big old tractor. He's baling hay and picking up hay and putting on the trailer. And he's probably in his mind thinking, "Oh no, I have just ruined all their birthday festivities." It was Amelia's favorite thing. She was like, "Yeah, hay bales. This is awesome." It made her day. He's a hard worker. He is a hard worker as a Christian. It is important that we work hard. Now, I I want to say this again and say this carefully because I want you to understand your salvation does not come from any work of your own. It comes from the work of Jesus Christ that was done on the cross for you. It is the grace that God freely gives to you that you receive. It's a free gift. But we are still called to labor. We are still called to work hard as Christians. Now, taken into this context, this this is really cool. This is really cool where this goes. Taken into this context, Paul is specifically talking to pastors. He's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor. He's telling Timothy to, to raise up faithful men who can teach others also. Pastors, pastoral leadership. What is the main labor, the main job, the main work that a pastor is to do? No, it's not just visiting people in hospitals or praying for the sick or leading events. It is ultimately to preach the Word of God. That is the call that pastors have on their lives. Look at what he says towards the end of this, this little section on the, uh, the metaphor of the farmer. Is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. As a farmer, if you farm and you, you raise crops and you harvest you get to partake of that like you uh, you get to have whatever it is that you harvested the purpose is to sell it and to give it to other people so that they can be nourished but you nourish yourself with what you have farmed and what you have harvested as a preacher specifically here in this text the preacher edifies himself and nourishes himself while preparing the messages and the teachings For the people. As he shares what he has harvested with others and he edifies them and he nourishes them, he first is taking in for himself and is nourishing his own heart, his own soul. Is is he is enriching his own spirit. So as a as a preacher, as a pastor, anytime a pastor engages in preparing a message for his people. And the messages will last anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour, sometimes you feel like it's two hours. But that's just the surface level of what the pastor has put into his study. And here's the thing that I know from experience, is that when you engage in the Word of God, whether you're just doing it to to create a lesson, a Bible lesson or whatever, you are engaging with God. And you can't help but be transformed by that. You can't help but be edified and nourished in your soul because you are spending time with your maker. You are spending time with your God. And so the hardworking farmer who who worker who works and toils um, and labors hard, he gets to partake of that first fruit. So you, I, I read an article one time, and the article, I forget what it exactly was about, and I forget like, the title of it, who wrote it, but it had something to do with one of those, like, top five, if you want to grow in your walk, here's top five things that, that you should be doing, um, and one of those, I think it was one of the last ones, it said, teach a Bible lesson, and he explained himself, he says, you might be wondering, like, why, why would teaching a Bible lesson help you grow? It helps you grow because you're engaging with God, and you're thinking of ways in which to answer questions that others may have about that passage that you're studying, So if you want to grow in your walk, teach a lesson. I know God has not called every single person in the church to be teachers of His Word. That's okay. But in some form or some fashion, you can teach God's Word to someone. It doesn't have to be on a stage on a Sunday morning. It does not have to be even in a Bible study classroom. um, When we have Bible study on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, it can be simply with a kid who needs to know the gospel. It can be with your your own kids. It can be with your coworkers. It can be with people that you have a relationship with. You can teach them about who God is. And when you take time to study his word and give that message to them, you yourself are edified. And the harder you work in that, the more you are edified. Because the more time you spend with God, the more that God does in your life. And so these three disciplines, the, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, these are three ways that we need to be engaging in our walk with God and to be disciplined with him. Now, I'm going to leave you with this last little bit. I'm going to leave you with this with some spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about all these disciplines. We've kind of hit on a few, but I'm going to leave you with just a list. Here's a list of, of different spiritual disciplines that we can put up on the screen. Um, Things that you can do to help you in your walk with God. One is worship. All right? Worship God. Sunday morning, singing. We had some awesome worship time this morning. Worship doesn't always have to look like singing. It can look like service. It can look like just spending time with God and praying with Him. But ultimately, you're magnifying God. You're lifting Him up. And you're appreciative for what He's done for you and who He is, and you're glorifying Him. Worship God. The more you do this, the more you engage in this discipline, you grow in your walk with Him. And you keep your ship going in the right direction. Evangelism. Going out and sharing your faith. That can be hard sometimes. That can be difficult. It can be difficult in my life, I know. It, it's difficult sometimes to talk to someone awkwardly, randomly, <laughs> about the gospel. But it's important. And it helps you grow in your walk. Discipleship. Which is what we're talking about today. Pouring into others. Discipling them. Help it raising them up so that they can walk In the way that God wants them to walk. Prayer, spending time in prayer with God, taking your requests to Him, taking your your struggles to Him, Um, just spending that time with Him. Bible study, learning about, about God, memorizing Scripture. That can be a difficult one as well. I don't have the best memory in the world. But when you work at it and you get these verses locked in your brain, the Holy Spirit has a way of, in that moment when you need it most, bringing that scripture back up to memory. So it helps you get through those hard times. Serving, serving God's people, personal quiet time, engaging in your walk with God, engaging in the relationship that you have with God. Whether you do it first thing in the morning, whether you do it last thing before you go to bed, taking a chunk out of your day and spending it with God. It works, and you will not you will not regret it. You will not regret it. All these things are great, and all these things sharpen you as a Christian, but I want to say this. The point of doing these things is to not make yourself a top-notch Christian. The point of doing all these things is not to make yourself look good in front of your Christian brothers and sisters, or or is not to make God like you better. The point of doing all these things is to engage in your walk with God. Your walk with God is not performance-driven. It's not performance-driven. God's not going to look at you and he's going to go, oh, well, you, you worshipped um, this week. You, you, you evangelized. Yeah, you didn't disciple anyone. And you prayed just a little bit. So like, that's not what God's doing. God is just going, I want you to relate with me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want to have that with you. And that is the point of being disciplined. That is the point of being disciplined. And when you are, you move the ship in the direction that it's supposed to go, the direction that God wants you to go. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message this morning. Um, God, I thank you for this church and the people that are here. And Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts, um, that you would work in their life. God, I pray that... um, that if there's people in here today that they need to engage in these disciplines a little bit more, that, that you just give them the clarity of, of how to do this and what ways best that they need to do that. While at the same time, Lord, helping them know that this is not just to make them a better performing Christian. This is the, to help them in their walk with you. To help them in their relationship with you, God. Because that's what you do for us, is you love us. And you want us. and You want us to be children who are engaged with their maker. And God, I pray that that you would just use this message today, that you would change lives and change hearts. Um, And I pray that, Lord, that you would just do some incredible things in the work that you have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen time, you can stand. Um, If you need the altar, if you'd like to talk with me, uh, if you just want to do business with God in your seats, feel free to do that.